can be seated. Amen. Well, good morning on Sunday, July 23rd. We were instructed by Paul with some very appropriate words for us as a church body on that day. Specifically, we focused on Ephesians 4, 11, and 12 that read like this. And he, speaking of God, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the shepherd teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry for building up the body of Christ. At that time, on that Sunday, we gathered together as a congregation of people, and we were seeking the Lord's will on whether or not he would provide for us a man to come shepherd us. That text drove us as we worshiped together and prayed together and met that evening together as a church body to say, Lord, would you have us to call Jeff and Alyssa to come serve here? This morning, that provision is here. The Lord said yes. The congregation said yes. Jeff and Alyssa said yes. Many outside of us said yes. We see that the Lord has ordained this time for Jeff and Alyssa to join Rocky Point Baptist Church as members and pastors and wife to serve in building up the body of Christ. I stand before you this morning and say, God did this not too early. And not too late. God did this right on time. After even years of us waiting, it was right on time. And we rejoice this morning in that truth. And we acknowledge that this morning to our great God. This momentous occasion, the installing of a new pastor into our congregation, takes us to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. I would ask for you to turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We'll be looking at verses 5 through 16 this morning. This sermon is a, a sequel sermon to the July 23rd Ephesians 4 message. And in these two passages from Ephesians and Corinthians, we have the same author, Paul, who was inspired by the same Holy Spirit, God, and we're given three metaphors that merit our attention. The first metaphor is from that Ephesians passage weeks ago. The metaphor is this. Pastors were given to the church to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And here it is. For the building up of the body of Christ. There's the metaphor. The body of Christ. This morning we're going to see in the text that the metaphor Paul uses is one of God having a field. You, we, are God's field. We also have another metaphor, God's building. And ultimately we're going to see this morning in this text that that building is nothing short of God's temple where He dwells. So as you turn to 1 Corinthians 3, 5, I want you to understand briefly, there is some context here right before verse 5 that we need to understand. The immediate context of this text is one of division. The Corinthian church is divided. Some are following after Paul. Some are following after Apollos. Some are following after Cephas, who is Peter. Some are following after Christ. Good for them. They're divided. 
Thankfully, this morning, we have not one ounce of division amongst us. I can say that without hesitation this morning. We're united, especially united unanimously as a congregation to call Jeff and Alyssa to come serve here. Unanimous. There's no division here. We would be wise to not ever get to that point by being instructed from verses like this. But moving along from this division issue, there is a universal truth in these verses from 5 through 16. There is universal truth that needs to be applied to pastors and to a congregation. And that's what we're going to be about this morning. Paul tells us in these verses that no one but God grows a church. That's the theme this morning. God builds His church. Pastors do not. Congregation does not. God builds His church. Let's jump in and look at this truth. Starting in verse 5, let's read through 9 together. Paul writes, inspired by God the Holy Spirit, these words. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. Let's stop right there. Let's cut it right there for a moment. Paul and Apollos, according to God who inspired these words, are not ultimate in the church in Corinth. It's not about them. He says, what then is Apollos? What is Paul? Neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything church we're nothing we're merely servants of the lord paul says god is ultimate <clears throat> they had an important role we do not need to downplay that at all they had a very important role they are the ones through whom the corinthians believed in jesus christ what a glorious task god assigned to paul and apollos but they were secondary. It's really God that is ultimate. Let's look specifically at the roles of Paul and Apollos. Verse 5, as the Lord assigned to each, I planted and Apollos watered. There's two roles given there. The roles were assigned, note you, by the Lord. They didn't go grab them a church and do some stuff to it. The Lord assigned to Paul and Apollos very specific and very simple tasks. You could say they are instruments in the hand of God, the strong right hand of God. Paul's assignment was to plant. Paul was a missionary apostle. Paul traveled all over the region, planting churches in Ephesus and Philippi and Colossae and here in Corinth. Paul's a planter. He planted the gospel of Jesus Christ in the midst of a people so that belief in the kingdom of Christ could grow amongst them. 
Apollos, he watered. Apollos is a pastor. Apollos came on the scene after Paul planted. And Apollos watered this church with the gospel of Jesus Christ. He taught them the word of God that Paul planted. That's all they did. Together they were faithful in the basics of pastoral ministry. They weren't tricky. They were gospel-centered all the time. And they did it faithfully. They did it simply. They did it certain with discipline and determination and devotion and long-suffering. They were patient with the people. They just continually planted and watered and planted and watered. Well, then we need to consider God's role. Because Paul says, I planted, Apollos watered. But God gave the growth. God was mighty and God was engaged in the work that Paul and Apollos were assigned to do. Work out your own faith with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you. God was mighty and He was heavily engaged. He used the work that He assigned to these men to grow His church in Corinth. And he does the same thing today in his church in Rocky Point. God took the seeds they planted, the seeds that they watered, and he, in his sovereignty, germinated them. Roots sprouted. A tender shoot popped up and pierced the surface of the ground. And a stalk arose. God did that. Paul didn't. Apollos didn't. In Acts 11, Peter and the apostles tell the Jewish people about God saving the Gentiles. And here, the, the gen, look at the Jewish response. They said, they glorified God and they said, Then to the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance that leads to life. God granted the repentance. Just like Paul says, God grants the growth. Repentance, salvation, and church growth is the work of the Lord, not the work of man. Yet men are instruments. There's a real good summary statement. Look there in verse 7. Good summary statement. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything but only God who gives the growth. So God gave Paul and Apollos specific work, hard work to do in ministry. But God was responsible for the ultimate task, the most difficult task. And that task was one of growing what had been planted and watered. I want you to know this morning, church family, that if God does not provide the growth in this congregation, we don't want it. We don't want to grow at all costs. We only want the growth that God grants according to His sovereign decree. If we grow this church, it will be artificial. 
If we grow this church, it will be exposed. It will not stand the test of trials and tribulations. If we grow this church. God is the one who will grow it or not. (laughs) Or not. It's His. Corinth was His church. Philippi was His church. Ephesus and Rocky Point Baptist Church is the Lord's church to grow or not. We collectively must be faithful to plant and water. It's our simple task. And that is enough. That is enough. Pastors do not grow churches. God does. And if we grow it, you need to know that we can also wreck it. May what God builds not be wrecked. So this morning our point here is in learning from Paul and Apollos that pastors, first of all, must understand that we are held accountable not to quantity. We are held accountable to quality. The quantity is God's. The growth is God's. But the quality of performing the tasks that God has given us, we're responsible for that. So this morning, Jeff, I want to address you directly. And I want to say, welcome to Rocky Point Baptist Church, brother. We are thankful that you are here. We consider you immediately a fellow worker of God's. You are a fellow worker with us and with the Lord. And this morning, I want to say to you directly, you must focus every bit of your labor on quality. And you don't need to look up and worry about quantity. We've asked this man, by the grace of God, to come here and give us quality. We do not depend on him to give quantity. After being faithful in applying the work that God has assigned you and doing it diligently, we're going to ask you to join us in looking to God for the growth, whatever that may look like. And congregation, we need to do the same. Pastors do not grow churches. The Lord does. That's point number one. So now let's look back at verse 9. In verse 9 we read, You are God's field. I cut us off right there. And then there's this comma in your text probably. And then he says, God's building. Right here, Paul does a very obvious and very strategic metaphor shift. He goes from a field in crop technology, terminology, farming context, to a building context. Look down in verse 16. <clears throat> Over there he also says, do you not know that you are God's temple? So he provides definition to this building that he introduces in verse 9. I want to show you two things here. Number one, I want to show you Paul's labor. And number two, I want to show you the work of a pastor in these texts. Look with me in verse 10. 
according to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid. Which is Jesus Christ. God graced Paul with skill. Paul's responsibility in God's building of his church was to lay a sure foundation. Paul tells us that foundation is Jesus Christ. And Paul tells us that he was graced by God with skill. And then he declares himself to be a skilled master builder. We need to look at Paul's gift that he received from God of grace here. Paul did not train himself and go build him a church with all of his great self-learned skill. Paul didn't go work out and exercise himself so that he could be skilled to lay a foundation of Jesus Christ in a church in Corinth. Paul had skill, verse 10 says, according to the grace of God. It's not of his own doing. There's so much Old Testament precedence here. I want you to just walk with me real quickly back to the Old Testament days of Moses leading Israel through the wilderness. In Exodus chapter 31, God tells Moses that he equipped a man to build the temporary tabernacle that Israel was to set up and tear down as they journeyed through the wilderness to the promised land. Just listen to a summary of some of the verses in Exodus 31. The Lord said to Moses, See, I have called by name Bezalel, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship. I have given to all men ability that they may make all that I have commanded. What God's doing with Paul and Apollos, he did long ago with Bezalel. He equipped him with knowledge and skill and craftsmanship to build the place where God was to dwell amongst the people and be worshipped. Later on, there's a permanent temple built. In the city of David, Jerusalem, after Israel had entered the promised land, Solomon was responsible for building that. In 1 Chronicles, <clears throat> I'm sorry, 2 Chronicles 2.13, we read this. God says, Now I sent a skilled man who has understanding, who Ram Abai is his name. He is trained to do all sorts of engraving and execute any design that may be assigned to him. By me. So God has been building tabernacles in the old wilderness, temples in old Jerusalem, and a church in the new covenant age. And each time God takes men and he graces them with skill so that they can perform the work that he assigns to them in building the buildings that he will construct. <clears throat> Just like Bezalel and Huram Abai, Paul was graced to be a skilled master builder. 
And God's grace in Paul's life is found in none other than Jesus Christ. That's God's grace to Paul. Christ. Paul's skill is Christ. Not artistic carving and gold and metal work. It's Christ. And let's take a look at what Paul creatively and skillfully constructed. He was skilled in building a foundation. And he says that foundation is none other than Jesus Christ. If you read all of Paul's letters, he self-identifies himself as a foundation setter. He went from region to region putting foundations down. In Romans 15, 20, Paul says, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. Paul wanted to go where there was no foundation and establish the one true foundation, Jesus Christ. If Christ was already there, he wasn't called to go build there. He was called to go and lay new foundations. And his foundation is found earlier in 1 Corinthians in chapter 2. He says, Brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. There's his foundation. And he laid that All over the place in the New Testament day. Subsequently, after Paul lays his foundations, there are others that come in and build upon those foundations. One of those men is a guy named Apollos. Clement. There's a faithful companion in the book of Philippians that we read about. There's others that come in and build upon the foundation that Paul laid. And I think this is true to successive pastors in the churches of Jesus Christ all the way to the present age. There's builders that come and add to the foundation of Jesus Christ that Paul the Apostle established. Every church must be built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. And Paul set that. As God used him to build the early church. We follow suit today. Brother Jeff. God has given you immense grace. God saved you from your sins. We know your testimony. We celebrate that you're born again in Jesus Christ. God has graced you with the greatest gift any human could ever receive. Forgiveness for your certain sins that you absolutely committed. But God wasn't done right there. He graced you also with skill. You know how to handle the word. At a pulpit, at a keyboard, you know how to handle the word of God. And you were given that gift by gracious, gracious provisions of the Lord. He he wasn't done with you. He didn't give all of us the ability to play the piano, to sing and to work with all this technology. But he graced you with that gift as well. You're a unique man in that you've got all of this gifting. But do not forget, 
It is from the Lord. You did not go and get you some of that. It's from the Lord. God has provided you to faithfully deploy your salvation and your giftedness amongst us. It's His charge to you. God has given you to us to build on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus being the cornerstone. And I charge you, do that here. We're desperate for it. We then shift to the pastor's labor. Paul established the foundation. Here comes all these pastors, starting with Apollos, and today going through a guy named Jeff. There is importance to the materials that pastors build upon this foundation with. It's very important. Look with me in verse 12. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it. Circle that day. We'll come back to that. Because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. The building materials that Paul cites are very important to note. I want you to make note that they are decreasing in value while they're increasing in flammability. The first three are clustered together, gold, silver, and precious stones. These are materials that are Refined by fire, not destroyed. They're refined, strengthened, purified. There's Old Testament precedents for this as well. If I take you back to our two gentlemen, one in Exodus and, and one in Second Chronicles, we read this. The Lord said to Moses, See, I have called by name Bezalel, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship. And listen to this. To devise artistic designs, to work in gold, silver, and bronze, in cutting stones for setting, and in carving wood to work in every craft. Got the same building materials listed. In the Old Testament tabernacle. In Second Chronicles, Huram Abai's got the same. He is trained to work in gold, silver, bronze, iron, stone, and wood, and in purple, blue, and crimson fabrics, and fine linen, and to do all sorts of engraving and execute any design that may be assigned to him. God doesn't change. He's good that way. He's not a moving target for us. The church is to be built just as the temple was to be built, just as the tabernacle was to be built. And it was to be built by men that were endowed with skill assigned 
from a sovereign God. What are our gold, silver, and precious stones today? Because I don't see any gold or silver or precious stones in here. What's going on? Well, I think that today we need to see that these are spiritual elements that we are to build with as pastors. I give an example of our sermons in this church and our teaching moments. All of our sermons and all of our teaching must be scripturally based and text driven. That's gold, silver, and precious stones in preaching and teaching. How about the music that we sing? Our music, our songs must be biblically grounded and faithful to the God that we're singing to. That's gold, silver, and precious stones. Our counseling must be designed by the Word to wash people with the Word of God. Gold, silver, and precious stones. Ultimately, we are to use Scripture alone, by faith alone, through grace alone, in Christ alone, for the glory of God alone. To borrow from the Reformation. The Reformation is about making sure that the church is built with sturdy material that will stand the test of fire. Jeff, you've got to build with gold, silver, and precious stones. You've got to join us in doing that. You've got to do quality control work on me to make sure I do this. We're partners in this endeavor. Next, we see wood, hay, and straw. What about these three elements? These materials are destroyed by fire. Fire does them no good. Fire incinerates them. They will not endure God's judgment that is certain to come on a day in the future. What would constitute wood, hay, and straw? Well, sermons that are preached apart from the Bible. Where a man takes a text of Scripture, uses it as a proof text to launch off into the wild blue yonder and preach that text in a way that God did not design it to be proclaimed. Happens everywhere. God forbid, not here, ever. Pastors take verses and wander around all over the place, ranting and raving about their pet peeves, never declaring what God had to say to God's people. So we're men of the book, and we proclaim this book faithfully. This is gold, silver, and precious stones. We don't charge off into humanitarian speaking. That's wood, hay, and straw. And it will do you no good in the day that's certain to come when Christ returns. Songs. Songs that emphasize style over content that are designed to manipulate our emotions. Those are worthless This morning we're going to sing five songs. Every one of them needs to carry the full weight of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Every one of them needs to be gold, silver, and precious and stonery. Don't need a bit of wood, hay, and straw. Go get that on your iPod. Be careful. Counseling. We do not counsel people with human psychology. Tricking people's minds to think differently about the reality that they're living in. 
We take the word of God to people and we wash them with gold and silver and precious stones. That will stand the test of time. That will stand in the day when Christ returns. So ultimately, wood, hay, and straw is is leading churches for the praise of man, for the size of the crowd, using lights and smoke and mirrors and hype. Seeking to manipulate emotions. If people feel good, they'll come here. Which, by the way, I do agree with. If we preach right doctrine, and we sing right doctrine, and you believe the doctrines that we're preaching and singing, you will be most happy, I promise. I promise. It won't burn off now or when Christ comes again. And so there's these six elements. We need to be building with the first three and not with the last three. Because there's a day that Paul references here with a capital D. And we know that day to be the day in Hebrews 10.25. We're instructed to not neglect to gather together as is the habit of some. But to encourage one another. And all the more as we see the day drawing near. That day is when Christ comes again to judge the living and the dead. If we build with gold, silver, and precious stones, Paul says, that work that anyone has built on the foundation will survive and it will be rewarded. But if we build with wood, hay, or straw, we're told in verse 15, if anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. And then we get this strange text, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. What's that all about? On the day of Christ's certain return, it's the only thing we're waiting for, is God's people. Everything else has been fulfilled. On the day when Christ returns, there will be a lot of surprise. At what is burned up and what survives. Some are going to think that they made great contributions. Only to have a lot of what they did burned up and incinerated. Others, unknown and unsuspecting, will have the greatest surprise at what survives. The fires of the judgment of God. But every believer, every believer is going to have something left. Because Paul says right here, though he himself will be saved. Work may be burned up, but he will not. Very important here. Salvation cannot be lost if you're authentically saved. God will not remove salvation that he is granted God doesn't grow a church to tear it down, the authentic church. So maybe these believers have a fraction of what they've built left over after the burning off, but their reward is diminished. Every true Christian is going to get some degree of reward. They're not going to be cast into outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. But some of their work, before their very eyes, they will regrettably watch it be burned. 
true salvation with occasional poor building materials will not be lost, but reward will be. Jeff, we need you to do the work of a skilled master builder. By God's grace, we need you to do that kind of work on us for Him. You must water us. You must do so as you lead us in singing God's Word. You must water us as you preach and teach in all the times that we'll have you doing that as well. And by the way, you're preaching and teaching to us right from this keyboard every Sunday. It's teaching that happens right here. We pay attention to what we're singing. We follow His lead. He ushers us before the throne of grace. He's teaching us as He leads us in singing. He's not the music guy. He's a pastor teaching. You must water us as you counsel us with the Scriptures. You need to wash us with the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in so doing, you must entrust our growth to the Lord. You don't grow us. You don't counsel us. You don't preach to us. You're God's instrument. He does that to us through you. It's a really great text. You know it well. First Peter 5, 2 through 4. Peter, a shepherd himself, says, Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears on that day, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. You will be rewarded. We urge you to be faithful in how you build so that on that day you don't see very much burn up. You won't burn. You're authentically saved. You hold fast to your salvation. But we don't want you to watch much burn up either. We want you to rejoice in what is refined and preserved through fire. Last point, verse 16. Now I come to you, the congregation. Spent a lot of time on this pastor here this morning. Let me talk to us. In verse 16... Paul gives definition to this building that he referenced in verse 9. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? We collectively, even as pastors, we're members of this church too, by the way. We collectively are God's temple. He had a physical building in the Old Testament. The tabernacle was physical and it was put up and torn down and moved. In Jerusalem, it was established for centuries. Physical building, brick and mortar, gold, silver, precious stones, purple, blue, on and on. No more. God's temple today is the church. And the church is not a building. The church is a people. 
people. When this building is empty tomorrow, this is not a church. It's a building that a church meets in. You've got to get that. We, collectively and individually, over in 1 Corinthians 6, he talks about us being individually temples of the Holy Spirit. Right here he's talking about all of us collectively being a temple of the Holy Spirit. God does not dwell in a building made by human beings. This same Apostle Paul in the Areopagus in Acts chapter 17, when these pagans are worshiping all these different idols and they set up an idol to the unknown God, our Apostle Paul went to those people and said, I want to introduce you to that unknown God. And in so doing, he says this, that God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man. He did in the Old Testament. He's not in the New Covenant age. The church age. God lives in a building like none other. He lives in a people. Do you not know God's Spirit dwells in you, Paul says. This place is not a church. This people is a church. And so Jeff launched us this morning into this service with 1 Peter chapter 2. Let me give you 4 and 5 again. As you, as you come to Him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, that's Jesus Christ, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. To be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Church is not a building, the church is a people. You are the church. So congregation, this morning I want you to acknowledge with me that God has given us much grace. He saved us. You're here this morning, a member of our church, a born-again Christian. God saved you just like He saved Jeff. And it was an act of grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, for God's glory alone. And we get that from Scripture alone. We didn't make this up. God told us this. So we've been given so much. We've been given new life. We've been born again. But God wasn't done with us. He gave us the apostles from Ephesians 4. He gave us the prophets. He gave us the evangelists that told us this good news. And then He gave us pastor teachers who could teach us and build upon the foundation that the apostles and prophets established, Christ Jesus being the cornerstone. But then God wasn't done with us even after that. Because God gave every one of us skills. Every one of us is to be a skilled master builder. It's not reserved just for pastors. Not reserved just for the apostles. Every born again Christian is to be a skilled master builder. 
And we contribute to the building work, yes. But it's God who does all of the erection. Through us, we're to be instruments in His hand. He's given you some pastor teachers who are to equip you, the saints, to do the work of the ministry. So I'm going to challenge you this morning, church. Get after it. Take our equipping so long as we equip you with gold and silver and precious stones upon the foundation of Jesus Christ. So long as we're doing that, please receive our equipping and engage in the work of the ministry. Please engage. I want you to look around this room. There are empty seats. You seen the parking lot? There's stripes on the ground that don't have things in between them. There is room to grow, but let's be extremely careful here and very humble. We will not grow this church. God will. Or not. We are to do the work of the ministry. Some of us are to equip you to do such and then join you in doing it. We're to plant into water. And then we're to sit back and say, God, the growth is yours or not. You might give to us. You might take away from us. But blessed be your name regardless. So your purpose is to receive the equipping and to join us, the pastors, in planting and watering, all the while entrusting the growth to God, in building with gold and silver and precious stones, all the while expecting God's greater reward on the day. And we, I think I speak on behalf of Jeff and Josh and Colton and Kenneth and Art and Tony, we ask you to join us in this. It's the greatest calling any people could ever be given to be a part of, of contributing to God's work of building up His church. So this morning we need, to, we need to receive this as a challenge to a new pastor and a challenge as a congregation. And we need to conclude by coming together and acknowledging God's work in our midst. So with that, I'm going to ask Jeff and Alyssa to come forward. <clears throat> We'd like to place you before our congregation of people. I want you to sit comfortably in two chairs in congregation. I'm going to ask you to come at the moment that you feel led. I'm going to ask you to come forward. We're going to pray over this gift that God has given us. He's gifted us with a pastor teacher and a wonderful wife who stands steadfastly with Him in ministry. We need to celebrate God's gift to our congregation. And we also need to say to these two, you're of us. Welcome. We rejoice in the Lord that you're here. So I'm going to bow us and I'm going to pray and I'm going to ask you to come forward and let's spend some time celebrating what Christ has done as a full congregation before we go into some singing again. Father, we... We gather in the name of Jesus Christ. He is our foundation. He is the cornerstone that we are built upon.
And we thank you that you have given us another pastor teacher and a faithful wife to equip us to do the work of the ministry and to entrust the growth to you. Would you lead us now as we pray to you in this time of congregational worship?